Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. We're excited that you joined us today. We've got another powerful and life-changing message to encourage you and bless you in your walk with Christ. Let's get right into it, and I'll get back with you shortly. Uh, this morning, I'll try to make it quick. I know it's Graduate Sunday, and so I want to speak a little bit to our graduates, but let me, let, me, let me tell you, rest assured that this message goes for every single person, uh, every stage of your faith that you're in, uh, because sometimes we can just become a little weary in what we do. And so sometimes we need to bring it back to the basics. And this is one of those messages that is kind of one of the basic messages. Um, But I want you to hear it, and I don't want you to tune me out, even at the beginning, if you say, I know that, or I understand that. I want you to hear it, and I want you to hear it good, okay? Because it's what the Lord said, and the Word is good. So uh, to, uh, last week, or actually a week and a half ago, I got the distinct privilege of serving on jury duty. I knew I was going to get that kind of reaction. So I don't know about you, but uh, you get that summons in the mail that says you have to report for jury duty, and your face kind of just goes, right? Because sometimes we think that jury duty is a big waste of time. Sometimes it kind of is a big waste of time, but it's a very important part of our judicial system. And so I kind of like jury duty in one sense because I feel like I'm, I'm doing my part and I am doing my part. But nonetheless, sometimes you go and you sit and all you can think about are all the other things that you could be doing during that time of sitting, right? Well, last week I got called to jury duty. I think I went Monday and they sent me home. Came back Tuesday and they told us that The judge was there. There was a trial that was going to be heard and needed a jury. So today was going to be jury selection day. Yippee, right? So I'm cool. Listen, I'm cool with going to jury duty because if I show up, it's guaranteed I don't have to show up for two more years, right? So I like going, but I don't necessarily like being selected for a jury, you know, Sometimes you wish for one of those like juicy cases, but you know, it is what it is, right? So anyway, it's jury selection day and I'm sitting in the courtroom and the judge is giving us instructions and he decides that it's time to pick the 12. So they randomly call 12 names. Mine wasn't one of them. Woo. I'm like, yep, I'm going home early. So for any of you that know how this works, how many of you have been on jury duty before? Perfect. You guys know. So the way it works is the 12 people are chosen and then the attorneys get a chance to question you. And what their job is, is to find out if you are best suited to hear this case. And for whatever reason it might be, they have the option to dismiss certain jurors and pick new ones. And in this particular case, they decided to dismiss a few jurors, and then that, so now they had to randomly call new names. Guess whose name did get called this time? Yes, number five, right? So we go, and I sit in the box, and I'm sitting in the chair, and um, I'm thinking to myself, I'm still, I've still got this made, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But I sit in the box, and the, and the prosecuting attorney starts asking me questions. Uh, what's your name? Where do you live? And then they ask me the question that gets me out of jury service every single time. Where do you work? I work at the church. Usually that's like, right? 
I don't know why, but I guess I don't, I better not speculate. But anyway, working at the church is almost 100% guaranteed every time got me thrown out off of a jury. But I didn't get lucky this time. <laughs> they kept me. So then they ask another question. Like, how many of you have been inside a courtroom recently? And I raised my hand and they, you know, juror number five, why have you been here? Well, recently I was here as a character, a character reference at another court case. And that's when the defending attorney spoke up and he goes, which I had thought he looked pretty familiar, right? He spoke up and he said, yes, Mr. Sexton was, uh, was a character reference in a court in a case that I was the defending attorney in last week. And I was like, yep, that's, that's guaranteed I'm going home now, right? No, I don't, two years and I'll see you soon, right? Nope. I don't, I don't get it, but they kept me. And so anyway, all this stuff went through. I ended up being selected uh, as the four person on the jury. So not only was I on the jury, yeah, you got it. So I was the four person. And so we go home, the court case was gonna start the next day. <clears throat> next day, we go to court, get some instructions, the case begins. And for those of you who know how this works, prosecuting attorney who represented the state, he begins to give his opening remarks and telling us all of the reasons why the person being accused is definitely guilty. And he starts presenting evidence and all of those things. But then he does something that we've all seen on TV, if you haven't seen it in a courtroom, he calls his first witness. The witness comes up, they ask the witness to put your left hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the witness says, sure. And be, well, they don't say sure, they say yes. I tried saying sure one time, it didn't work. So they said yes. And um, he gives his account, his story, for what's about to happen, or what happened on the particular day of the crime, the accused crime, the perceived crime. And then another witness comes up, they do the same thing. They swear that person in, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? They do, and they begin to give a pretty similar account of the story. Eventually, the plaintiff rests his case, or the plaintiff's attorney rests his case, and the defense attorney steps up and begins to give his account of why his client should not be found guilty. And then he calls the, his, his client, the accused person, to the stand. That person, of course, of course, gets on the stand, left hand on the Bible, right hand up in the air. Do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes. And then he begins to tell us his side of the story of what happened. It's at that moment that I realized, wait a minute, somebody's lying. Because neither one of those two stories matched up. Those two stories were almost completely opposite and completely different from each other. But then I started thinking about something else. Like, I wasn't there, right? So it's going to be up to me to decide who is telling the truth. Like, the weight of all of that came down. It's like, it, this, this person's possibly his freedom, or her freedom is going to be resting on what I perceive to be the truth. Like, what if I'm wrong? What if all 12 of us are wrong? It's happened before. It's not a perfect system. Were any of them really telling the, the whole truth? I don't know. But it, it just kind of happened all at the same time that I began preparing this message today and I wanted to speak on truth. And so it takes me to another court case 
that happens in John chapter 18. And I'm going to read it really fast, and then I'll explain it to you for the sake of time. John 18, we're starting in verse 28. It says, then they led Jesus. So you guys, wait, I'm going to pause. So you guys know what happened before this. Jesus gets arrested. You've heard and listened to the story of what happened after it. It's the crucifixion. Jesus dies on the cross. But a lot of us haven't heard this little section in between. It says, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled so that they could eat Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Verse 33, so Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born for... And for this purpose, I have came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is, a, who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate then said to him, what is truth? So here we have Jesus, and we're not going to get to, into all the little details, but he's been arrested, and he goes through a series of pretrials, and, and there are a ton of false accusations made towards him, and he gets to this point where he's at Caiaphas' house, and they finally find him guilty of blasphemy. And so they decide that they are going to kill, or they want him sentenced to the death penalty. But there's only one problem. The Jews weren't allowed to crucify anybody. It had to go through the Roman government. And so they had no choice but to take it to Pilate. And Pilate, I can imagine him, he's like, what do you guys want now? You know, what's the, I, I, you guys have found him guilty. He even says it. You guys have found him guilty. Take him and do with, with him what you want. But they say, no, you've got to hear this. So then Pilate's like, okay, he says he's a king. I need to make sure he's not like planning anything against the Roman government. So he starts to kind of question him. And then he probably gets in what I think is kind of a confused state because he hears the Jews talking and accusing Jesus of this. He hears Jesus' side of it. He knows what kind of in the back of his head. He's not really worried about it because now he's saying he's a king from another world and not really, you know, a king on this land. So I think he asked this question in reality and he says, what is the truth? Like, what is truth? And I think that the question that Pilate asked that day is the same question that you and I are asking every single day right now. What is truth? Because you see, we're living in a really dangerous time right now. Because we're living in a day where truth can't really be defined. Truth can't even really be found. I feel like the church, and it's kind of hard and and sad to say this, but I think the church, in a way, has done a really bad job of protecting the truth. 
Because see, people now are walking around confused. They're confused about who they are. Confused about why they're here. They're confused about what they believe. They're confused about their own faith. People are walking around now making up their own truths. And don't you dare, don't the church dare, don't anybody dare question their truth because it's their truth. See, and that truth is called relative truth. It's called relative truth because it changes based on a person or an individual's understanding of the truth. We'll call it the world's truth because that's what it is. It's the world's truth. But real truth can be defined as this. Real truth is defined as an absolute standard by which reality is measured. In other words, it's true no matter what anyone thinks about it. It's true no matter how, about, no matter how you feel about it. It's true no matter if you like it. It's an absolute standard by which reality is measured. And that's what this morning I want you to get. And we're going to kind of go through this a little bit fast. But that's what I want you to get. I want you to understand that the truth is the truth. And then when you understand what the truth is, what do we do with the truth? Why is it so important to know the truth? See, Pilate asked that question. It's kind of funny. He asked that question standing uh, with the truth standing right in front of him. Because Jesus in, in, in chapter 14, just a few verses before, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But even right before he asked that question, Jesus said that I come to bear witness to the truth. I come to testify to the truth. I come to be the fleshly uh, witness of the truth. And that truth is God. Because God is truth. Isaiah 65 says that he is the God of truth. And if truth and truth is one of God's moral attributes. See, in Hebrews 6, we find an even more representation of the truth when it says that it's impossible for God to lie. So God is truth. Jesus comes to testify to that truth. And then this word right here, if we believe it to be the inspired word of God, this word right here is the truth. Amen. And everything in it is true. Amen. See, in that trial that I was involved in, in the court case, we could find the accused person guilty or innocent, and we did, we made a decision. But it still doesn't mean that we found out what the truth was. But the opposite is true. If we would have known the absolute truth, there'd be no doubt in our mind who would be guilty or who would be innocent. So just like in front of Pilate that day, I, I believe that it wasn't really Jesus on trial of being found guilty or innocent. It was the truth that was on trial. And so if you'll bear with me for just a minute this morning, uh, we'll run through this really quick, like I said, but we're gonna put truth on trial just a little bit this morning. And so in, the, in this court case this morning, our plaintiff is going to be the world. The world, like I said, is claiming that there is no absolute truth. You can make up whatever truth that you want to make up. It's relative. And our defendant is going to be 
the word of God, the truth, defending the fact that there's only one absolute truth and God is it. God is him. Now, what you might find a little bit concerning, or at least I did, is that testifying on behalf of the world is over 40% of the people of the world because 40% in a recent poll said that they believe that the truth is what you call it to be or what you want it to be. And young people under 30 years old and under, I say that's young because I'm over that now <clears throat> by a long shot, but 30 years old and under make up over 50% of that number. You believe truth, or I'm not saying you, but they believe truth is whatever it is that you make it out to be. Excuse me. I'm like Pastor Blake. Woke up this morning with all this mess. So our trial begins in the world First argument against truth is that this, that you are the author of your own truth, like we said. That truth begins with you. John chapter 14, as we said, already says that Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. There can't be two heads to anything. So we can't make up the truth, and Jesus says that he is the truth. Philippians says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under his son, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Truth can't start with us. Why? Because we're not a perfect origin. We're sinful people. So we can't, let truth start with us because we have errors. We have flaws and blemishes already and truth can't come from something that has flaws and blemishes in it. One of the things to look at truth or to, one of the things about truth is to, like I just said, to look back at its origin. An absolute truth has to have an absolute point of origin. If we look in Genesis, in the beginning, God that's all we need to know. In the beginning, God. God is an absolute origin. A perfect God is an absolute source of truth. So we can't be the author of our own truths. The world is, their second argument would be this. The truth is what makes me feel good. We've already stated that the truth is the truth no matter how you feel or what you think about it. The Bible tells us to guard our own hearts. Proverbs 3 says, lean not into our own understandings. It doesn't matter what we think, what we feel. Truth can even be bad news. And we're not happy about bad news. And we don't like the feeling we get when we're delivered bad news. But nonetheless, it's bad news. It's that whole find out what makes you tick and what ticks you off kind of thing. The thing that makes you tick might make you smile, but the thing that ticks you off isn't going to make you smile too. But both can still be true. Third argument the world might have is it's what the majority believes. Ooh. That's a big one. Matthew says, and because of the prevalent disregard of God's law and the love of the great, the love of the great majority will grow cold. 
Romans says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness and righteousness of men, not man, but men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So I heard a preacher one time give this story about time. And I don't know, some of you have smartwatches and smartphones, and if you have a smartphone, you know that the time automatically sets itself once you cut it on, right? And it's setting itself to some, I don't know, maybe some of you are smarter than I, but the best I can tell, it's some kind of uh, electrical system that satellites control, right? That's the best I can explain it. Whatever is the case is that's the time that we are referenced to. That is the source that we go to from time. Now, I can go to the jewelry store and buy me a $10,000 Rolex if I want, right? That's not connected to this satellite. And if I go and I do that, and I set the time the same and come back three days later, and my Rolex says it's 10.05, but my iPhone that's connected to the source says that it's 10.15, my Rolex is lying. Why? Because it's not the same as the source. So if we get everybody in here a Rolex, and that Rolex keeps bad time for everybody, it doesn't matter if every single person, 300 of us in here, our time says 10.05, we're all still wrong. It's not what the majority says, it's what the source says. So the argument that the world uses that it's what the majority believes is not true. See, it's not the world's truth, but the truth that we need to concern ourselves with. Graduates, young people in here, listen. I know if we can understand what the truth is and know what the truth is, the question for you I have is what's going to be the standard for your truth? Like, what are you going to hold it up against? What are you going to compare it with? Because this word of God This truth right here, this is what we need to compare every single thing to. Listen, some of you graduates that are going to go off to college, your teachers and your professors, sorry for all the college professors and teachers we have in here, some of them are going to tell you stuff. And if you go back and compare it to this world or to this word, to the truth, you're going to find out that what they're teaching you is wrong. And it's not right because they're teaching it to you. It's not right because it's what they've decided that they want to teach and it's in their curriculum. It's wrong because it doesn't line up with the truth. Some of you are going to tell you that it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. The truth says it's not. And it doesn't matter who agrees or who doesn't agree. Adults, listen to me. You can cheat on your time card at work if you want, but if what your, what your actions are doing doesn't line up with the word, it's wrong. If the way you eat, breathe, and sleep doesn't line up with the word of God, if it doesn't line up with the truth, then you need to change the way you eat, breathe, and sleep. Here's why we need to understand the importance of knowing the truth. Because, first of all, there are consequences to being wrong. If you go to the airport today and you get on a plane and it's the wrong plane, you're going to end up at the wrong destination. 
If you take the wrong medicine or the wrong amount of medication, you're going to end up sick or dead. Eternity is a very long time to pay the price for believing the wrong truth. It's not the world's truth, but the truth that God gives us as part of the armor that we use to fight off the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you, may able, that you may be able to withstand the evil that day. Everybody's going to have a day of evil. Everybody's going to have a day or days where things are coming against you. See, the Bible tells us in John that Satan is the father of all lies. And there's going to be points and times in our lives, guys, that the enemy is going to come against us with lies and lies and lies. And the Bible tells us that this first piece that we need to use to stand firm is that belt of truth. And we're to put it on. See, in armor back in those days, that belt was big and it was wide. And you put it on, right? And it had your sheath for your sword. And it, sometimes it had armor that hung down on the legs to protect your legs. And it was there and it was bulky and it protected you from all the things that the enemy would throw against you. And so the, 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 the God has given us this truth that can protect us against the things that the enemy is going to throw against us. And he's going to throw them against you. He's going to give us lies. He's going to tell us lies. He's going to get inside of your head. Listen, everybody know that game we used to play, two truths and a lie. Right? You tell two truths and one lie, and everybody has to guess which one's a lie. See, I think the devil, the enemy, is really good for doing that. And older, older, our older generation, our seasoned saints, listen, it comes like this for you too. The enemy will whisper something into your head. He'll tell you, hey, you, you, you failed that grade. You failed that test. It was a bad grade. And guess what? It'll be true. But then he'll tell you, hey, you really sucked it up during basketball season. And guess what? It's probably true. But then he'll whisper a little lie coming right after it, right behind it, that'll say, you know what? You're probably just worthless. And if we don't have this truth around our waist, we're going to start believing parts of that lie that he's going to send us. And then we're going to start feeding on those lies and on those lies and on those lies. And listen, I don't know how many of you have a background in construction, but I used to do a little construction and I used to put on this nail, nail bag, right? This, this tool belt. And I'd have my hammer right here. I'd have a pouch here with some 16s in it, nails. And I'd have my eights over here and I'd go to work. Right? And then eventually I might someday I would climb a ladder and I'd take my nail gun and I'd hook it on too. And what happened is over time I'd have like weights and my nail bag would be down to here and my belt would start sagging a lot, right? And it'd be pulling down on me. Why? Because of all the weight I'm having. See, the devil and the enemy is going to give you lies and lies and lies and it's going to be weight and it's going to be heavy and it's going to be hard to hold. And what's going to happen is, is, is it's going to make that belt of truth start sagging. And it's going to get heavy. But here's what we have to do as believers who know the truth. We have to pull that belt back up. We have to cinch it back up tight. And we got to say, thus saith the Lord. And we got to quote scripture so that we can defeat and defend ourselves from the lies of the enemy. 
so it's important for us to know what the truth is because it's the truth that's going to defend us from the attacks of the enemy. See, as a student or a graduate or a young person in here, the lies that might get might come against you might be uh, things that you're going to experience at college or right after college in your family. You might have to go against those. But listen, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, look, listen, the enemy's been attacking your kids and you've been praying for years and years and years for your kids. Let me tell you, the truth is the truth. If it was the truth yesterday, it's going to be the truth tomorrow. And you have to be able to stand on the truth and you have to be able to listen to the truth. And if you've been on your knees for 10 years praying for your child, you need to be on your your knees 10 more years because the truth doesn't change. And if the truth says that he's going to set you free, then the truth is going to set you free. It doesn't matter if it's going to happen today or tomorrow. It's not the world's truth, but the truth that's going to set us free. So those lies can pile on top of us and weigh us down. But at some point in time, and we get get this truth in our heart, then it's going to set us free from all of those things that are weighing us down. See, seasoned saints, let me tell you this. A lot of times we get this word and we put it in our heart and we think we have it here. And so then when little things come, we know the word and we quote the word. And we think we're good. But then as life continues to happen, all of a sudden, we're not going back to the Word because we got a little bit lazy. Because we started listening to what the world was telling us. And then we find ourselves bound up in bondage over something and we don't understand why, because we know the word, but the, the, but the reason why is because we didn't get back to the truth when we needed to get back to the truth. We relied on an old experience. Jesus says that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Being a slave to sin means that we can be in bondage to that sin, but it's the truth that'll set us free from that bondage. Jesus is the truth. Knowing the truth will set one free from sin, free from condemnation, free from death. Jesus came to proclaim proclaim liberty to the captives so that we might be free. And the only thing in the Bible that sets us free is the truth. Stand with me if you will. Thank God for God's grace. Because when we mess up, we forget about the truth, we have his grace. But church, let me just challenge you with a couple things this morning. And that is this. First of all, don't be afraid to stand up for the truth. Not a truth, not any truth, not your truth, not the world's truth, but stand up for the truth. Because if we don't stand up for the truth, then people will start believing any truth. Maybe you're here this morning and you've realized, you know what? There might be a few things I haven't really uh, checked on. Uh, There's a few ways, things that I'm doing that don't quite line up with the truth. But hearing the truth can be tough. 
Hearing the truth can be tough. Why? Because number one, we don't like it. It's not comfortable. It's exposing me to where I'm, to where I fall short. Hearing the truth requires work because now I've got to do something to get lined back up. It requires a change of my lifestyle. Some, it requires repentance. If you will, just join with me and just close our eyes for a second. And I just want to call on everyone in the place to just do an examination, a self-examination of your life. Is there something, an area of your life that doesn't line up with the truth? We've all been there. So I don't want you to feel chastised by this. I want you to know that we're a church that's here for you. And we can help you. But if there's an area in your life that doesn't line up with the truth, you probably already know it. I want you to just know that these altars are open right now. So that you can come down and you can pray and you can talk to God about lining yourself back up with the truth. If you enjoyed today's message, we want to encourage you to join our Facebook online community. Search for Bethel Church Online for more great content from our pastors and leaders here at Bethel. Join us next week for another inspiring message.